Welcome back to Fracture Line, the official weekly news feed from the Chest Wall Injury Society, where we listen to all the bottom line CWIS updates, shout outs, fun facts, and weekly banter. I'm your host, Mark Crisco, and I'm joined today by Drs. Tom White, Adam Kay, Zach Baum, and Sarah Olin And today we have on two guest hosts. We have Dr. Schubel and Dr. Parachi. We're pretty excited about this episode, guys. It's going to be very fun. Thanks, guys, for joining us. As always, why don't you both quickly introduce yourselves, tell the people a little bit about yourselves, your background, and what you're doing right now. Well, it looks like Dr. Parachi dropped you off, did. so I guess I got to go first. Yeah, um, okay, well, that puts all you the go. pressure on you, Sebastian. Just like your residency, you're going to just have to carry Parachi along. Well, he's <laughs> just like just like residency. He disappeared but made a reappearance just in time. Anyways, <laughs> my name is Sebastian Schubel. I work at the University of California, Irvine campus. I'm a trauma surgeon. I am a avid chest wall surgeon, have been for a long time. And yes, I was a PGY3 when Dr. Parachi was a PGY5 at Cornell. We trained at the same institution. And I'd like to say he taught me everything I know, but I don't know much. So I'm not sure that gives him very much credit at all. Ooh, shots fired. Fred, do you have a rebuttal? Now, Dr. Schubel, did he teach you everything you know or everything he knows? Because, you know, those are different things. Honestly, I don't think that was as bad of a shots fired as you guys interpreted it to be. Because what I actually said is that <laughs> he taught me everything I know, but I don't know very much. So not True. sure. That, I think that was more of a self-own. I felt like that was more self-deprecation than anything. No, Fred was always really a force to be reckoned with at Cornell. He took on the mantle of an attending a little bit early. I will relate one phenomenal story about Dr. Parashi's training period, we had a rotation at Jamaica Hospital, which is out in Queens, which was our trauma rotation because the Upper East Side of Manhattan is not a hotbed of trauma that Queens is. And there was a morning, we had a trauma patient who had come up and was in a bed. We had only semi-private rooms at Jamaica. So there was a neighbor in that room. And this trauma patient, unfortunately, had a cardiac arrest where Fred invented a heretofore unknown procedure, which we renamed the fluorocotomy. He transposed the care of the trauma patient in the trauma bay to the care of the trauma patient in the floor, much to the chagrin of that patient neighbor and performed an ED thoracotomy upstairs, which didn't go particularly well, but will live in infamy. <laughs> They're backlighting from the window so you can see a shadow on a screen between the patients. Was there that cool? Can you tell us the rest of the screams in the room maybe, or like a little bit more video type stuff? Was everyone screaming? I, I wasn't there. I just heard about it. Unfortunately, oh. I was on the other team. So I didn't maybe get to like witness this first mime it out. Given the context, maybe you could mime it for us. That would be apropos to the media used. Dr. P's back. Dr. P, do you have a rebuttal? Well, I don't know about a rebuttal. Good afternoon, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to follow uh, Patrick Stewart on this, whatever we're doing here. My name is Fred Kirachi. I'm the director of surgery at Denver Health. I'm a trauma surgeon. I developed an interest in rib fixation as a fellow here under Gene Moore and was the second president of the Chest Wall Injury Society and have just been amazed at all of the work that has been done by the society to advance the science and care of patients with rib fractures since then. So it's a pleasure to be here. Yes, Shubal and I were co-residents in New York, and there are many stories. The floor economy is one of the tamer ones, but it's always fun to hear that one again. The question is, did that patient survive and did they get their ribs fixed? No and yes. 
<laughs> in which order? Now, that was probably well before either Dr. Schubel or I had even heard of the term SSRF or thought of doing it. It was when Dr. Days. White was in his late 60s. Ooh, oh, now that is not young back, back then. Oh, man. So, Fred, I have to ask. He's the longest poster of Lady Gaga. Wow. So, Lady Gaga, although all of the hype nowadays, I'm sure you all are well aware, is surrounding Taylor Swift and her 11th album, Midnight's. I'm sure you all know that about two weeks ago, she became the first artist, not the first female artist, the first artist ever to simultaneously have all 10 of the top 10 songs on the Billboard charts, which is quite amazing. So everyone's talking about Taylor Swift. I have my tickets, which is coming to Denver in, in July of next year. I'm sure she's coming around to all your cities as well. That said, my favorite pop star has always been Lady Gaga. And I had the pleasure of seeing her recently as a gift. I, I recently took over as the director of surgery here at Denver Health. And some of my colleagues were kind enough to arrange a surprise trip for my wife and I to fly to Los Angeles and see Lady Gaga at Dodger Stadium, which was quite the event. Ooh, that's um, so cool. You know, Except you had to go to Dodger Stadium. Other than that, that sounds like a really cool <laughs> event. Yeah, I was probably close to you, uh, Shubal. I would have loved to join you, but I think the show was sold out. I think you lost Tom a long time ago, guys. Tom is... <laughs> I'll no. tell you, when the Lady Gaga song, Rain On Me, came out, you were the first person to tell me, this is a cool song, and it's still on my run playlist. And every time it plays, I think of that day when you called. It was a Friday, and you're like, have you heard the new Lady Gaga song? I know she is. She sang a duet with Tony Bennett. It's a true story. Right, yeah. We watched it together on YouTube, and every time I'm running and playing it, I'm like, yeah. And I think of that moment. There you go. Well, that makes me uh, happy. Of course, that was a duet with Ariana Grande. It's a great video. This is definitely a very classic Fracture Line. Let me ask <laughs> Sebastian and Fred the question that we had them on for. We wanted to talk about volunteering, guys, and what it means to you in CWIS. Sebastian or Fred, just talk to us about CWIS volunteers and what it means. I always got to let my chief go first. Yeah, well, I appreciate the question. I hadn't really prepared to answer it, but I can answer it, which is that all of us are members of surgical societies, and most of us are members of AAST and EAST and these other behemoths that have a budget and have staff that are employed and a lot of resources to get things done. Even in those societies, uh, they're only as good as their volunteers helping them out. But the Chestwell Injury Society is especially reliant on its volunteers to keep the wheels running, basically. I mean, Sarah Ann does the work of 184 people, but we probably need 284 to run the society. So when we started it out several years ago, we were all volunteering countless hours of our times. You know, all of you on the call here, many more than I have. So not only is it a great service to the society, but it's a great way to get your foot in the door and meet people and network and you never know who you'll meet. And then it leads to lifelong collaborations and friendships like I have with all of you on the call today. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think one of the things that has always drawn me to CWIS is that the mentors that I had in residency, the progenitors of trauma, they got to be involved in building trauma societies when it was maybe looked at a bit askance, much like SSRF in certain circles when you first started CWIS certainly had its detractors. And so getting to be part of building something new, getting to be part of that dynamic initial, you know, trauma is just part of general surgery. Let's make it this own specialty. Let's talk about surgical infections in a different way. Let's talk about acute care surgery in a different way. The people that I really looked up to that I learned from got to be a part of that on the ground floor and look at trauma today. I honestly think probably the best job in all of surgery to be a trauma surgeon and certainly has developed a true reputation as a very unique and impactful specialty. That work was already done though when I became a faculty member. So I joined, much like Fred just said, I joined East, I joined AAST, I joined SCCM, I've joined a bunch of societies, but it was a much more mature organization and that 
energy, that excitement that comes with building something new wasn't as prevalent. And I found that with CWIS. And I think that energy still exists. It's certainly more niche than trauma, the behemoth, uh, to borrow another word from Dr. Parachi. But in some ways, I feel like this is much what it must have felt like in those first few years with East and with AAST. Maybe Dr. White can let us know what that felt like. But I've really enjoyed being a part of this organization. There are no organizations that I spend more time with the voluminous amounts of free time that I have dedicated to. And I've never regretted being involved in any way with anything related to CWIS. It's just a remarkable group of people. Well said. You know, I have to say, I was going to try and bring in the joke that Tom was old during this anyways, but you guys did it twice for me. Tom, do you have anything to say about that? It's brutal. Well, I'm you know, sure I, there I, will be one more. I live in fear of being that guy that should have walked out the door two years ago or five years ago. And you know what? You guys are helping me with that decision right now. I want you to know <laughs> that it's going to be easier than I thought to determine when that time is because it's, you guys are clearly going to tell me. So that's fine. I'm good with that. But let me ask another question, you guys, sort of apropos to what you just said. How do you think we maintain that naivete slash enthusiasm that we have that is somewhat uniquely CWIS, at least at this time period? How do we make it feel that same way five years from now? Or is it just a natural history of societies? It's just not going to happen. I don't think we, the people on this call, do. I think it's the people that are joining CWIS now that have a fresh and a different perspective, that have a completely different set of priorities about where they want to take the kind of work that the founders of this organization started it off with. There are people doing things in chest wall injury that, to me, are just a little bit mind-blowing. I mean, I think some of the stuff that Zach was talking about today, I don't think about the sternum that way. Some of the things that Everett was talking about today, I don't think about the costal margin that way. I don't do that much of that kind of work. I think it's the new people that are going to maintain that philosophy, that attitude, that energy. And I think we just need to get out of the way. There it is again. Get out of the way. I've heard <laughs> you that. saw that coming, didn't you, Tom? <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Get out of the way part. I, you walked right yeah. into that two by four, man. Yeah, right there. Tom, I mean, all joking aside, I think you've aged with the grace of a swan. <laughs> I've heard this question thrown around, you know, over the years with CWIS, and here are my thoughts on it. Number one, I think it shows an appreciation for how fun we were from the beginning, right? Like we all recognize that we've got this fun vibe going on. And so we get worried about losing it as we grow bigger. But I think a society is only as good as the people who are in it. And we bring such a fun vibe to everything that we do. We're all in these other societies where we think of little things here and there to do like let's do a beach volleyball tournament this year or play bingo or something like that to try to get everyone re-engaged but see was just naturally it's like is it in the bylaws that we have to do something related to burt reynolds i think or uh, a tequila donkey or it's not but it should be <laughs> you know I, I, it, if it's not it should be and if somebody challenged this group to not be fun at the meeting this year i think it would be impossible we wouldn't be able to do it we're just a fun group we don't take ourselves too seriously and I think something about the fact that, I don't know, I, from the beginning, we all kind of felt like we had something to prove because the larger scientific trauma community didn't consider SSRF valid scientifically. And we could have gone a couple of directions with that. We could have really had a chip on our shoulder and just turned into a bunch of curmudgeons who were always negative and trying to prove other people wrong. But we went in the opposite direction from the beginning. And we just said, like, F you to everyone. We're going to do our thing. We're going to have fun. We're going to publish. You can interpret the data the way that you want to. And I think that was the right approach. And it, look at where we've gotten with that. And I don't think that's ever going to go away from the society, no matter who's in the officer positions. 
Well, that donkey was in the bylaws, but then Conchita died. So she we died. Yeah, we got to get a replacement donkey. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> this is what? a sad day. Did she die in the line of duty? We think so. There was a broken tequila bottle and some dog See, hair. Still, I mean, they're just, unspeakable who knows? Unspeakable things. <laughs> we're just going to leave it at unspeakable things. At times it feels like lightning or like we ca we captured lightning in a bottle and it's just been profoundly fun and gratifying to be part of that. And I thank all of you for that. It's been great. But I'm serious when it's time for us that are no longer relevant or we're standing in the way or, or we stand up and say, well, this is the way I used to do it. That old fashioned stuff. It's time to escort those people towards the door. Do it kindly, but show them the door. And if you need to use me as an example of that, I'll give you full permission to do it. So anyway. I think we'll keep you around. So when you present your series of 500 patients, that might be the point where we say, okay, maybe we should walk away. Mm -hmm. you, you have all these other practices where they go that crazy two, with that. that. two years ago. I'm out. Okay, <laughs> Thank you, Adam. Thank you. Wow. This whiskey is helping. All joking aside, there is also going to be a natural evolution where CWIS and the things that we stand for and believe in and research are no longer, how did you say it, Dr. Paraci? They're look, looked at askance by the trauma community at large, right? And I think we've probably crossed that threshold, certainly in when we interview fellows, every fellow we interview for our trauma critical care fellowship wants to learn how to do rib fracture surgery and fundamentally believes that it's appropriate. And I think that you already see that in probably most of the junior faculty across the country. Because the work we're doing becomes more mainstream, becomes more adopted, I think CWIS also needs to adapt. And there is still a huge role for our, it's not like we're suddenly going to turn to something else. Like we're always going to be the chest wall injury society. And so the society, much like AAST and EAST, as trauma became a more accepted specialty within surgery, chest wall injury is going to become a much more accepted thing that is managed surgically. And so it's not a bad thing for us to join that mainstream element within the larger trauma community. And there are other things. We're going to have to do more government outreach. We're going to have to look, maybe get more involved in the way that these operations are compensated by payers. We're going to have to look more holistically at what is a society that has a mature operation to offer the surgical community, as opposed to what Fred said, which is, F you, everybody, you're wrong, we're right, this is valid, and we're going to prove it, because that's kind of getting done. I think your point is well taken. And I think it's one of the things that I think about a lot when we started this society, everybody was kind of practicing on these desert islands by themselves. And then we all kind of found each other. And by, I mean, I'm using the proverbial we, but everybody sort of found each other and started clinging together because you're like, oh, there are other people who understand where I am, right? And now the new residents and fellows look at this other generation of people and they're like, yeah, so what? So we you didn't fix rape 10 years you know, ago. You were an idiot. So now we, exactly. You know. For the old guard who, I mean, like we were talking about this with Dr. Gross a couple of weeks ago on the episode when he talked about some of the hurdles he had to cross to be able to play the minds he had to change and some of those really challenging situations that he had to overcome. Those won't be the situations that this next generation is overcoming because they've already been trained. It's already part of practice and kind of figuring out where our niche is because it's no longer just giving people a community of you have friends, there's somewhere to ask questions. It changes the role of the society and where we fill the gap for people. Because I think we no longer are just a safe space for people who have been told that they're crazy. Now we have to fill a different space. I think this next five years will not be like the first five years. And that's not a bad thing. I, I think to your point, Dr. Schubel, it's not a bad thing, but it will take a different type of member engagement. And to circle back to the point of this episode, it'll take a different type of volunteer. I think 
especially, we need people who are in this more incipient phase of their career who can tell us, hey, these are the kinds of things I'm running into, or these are the struggles that I'm having. This is where CWIS can help me, or these are the pieces that have been really hard for me in the past couple of years where, you know, you could kick in some support that will help us then know what to do. And I, I think that's where we really could use some support. I do know that we get a lot of people maybe in later phases of their careers, but I'd love to encourage some of the folks that are listening that are in kind of those earlier years. And if you are in your residency or a fellowship and you feel like you really only have one year to give or that you're not sure how much you can give, a lot of our volunteer opportunities are usually three-year commitments. If you can't commit to that, that's okay. Let us know up front so that it's not surprising when the committees are turning over more frequently. But we'd love to have that fresh perspective of here's what it looks like in my world now. That would be extremely helpful for some of our committees to know how we can best support those members too. I think there's this next five years is going to be every bit as challenging as the first five years were because I think our focus is now going to change a little bit towards answering some of the questions that we really didn't have the luxury of asking when we were designing our early studies. But we need to make this operation safer. We need to make the equipment more reliable. We need to make the surgeons better at doing it. We need to choose patients better. We need to minimize cost. There's a whole bunch of areas that we need to do to refine this. So I, I don't think we're going to run out of clinical questions anytime soon, but we do have to change our focus a little bit. I don't have questions, but I think our questions will become in my mind. And I think it's almost like what Dr. Pompili was discussing this morning in terms of patient reported outcomes. I think where a lot of our, in my mind, the next five years of our research will become less about this NTDB data poll. I suspect to be most effective, they will become more prospective, more seeking with that end in mind, kind of like she was talking about with the patient reported outcomes versus just, you know, looking at a huge data set and figuring out what comes of it. I think things like the less than perfect hardware failure study and some of those where we really are doing some of our more thoughtful research. I think that's kind of where I imagine some of our <laughs> research versus versus just large data. I don't know if that may be a different type of in the chat, John Edwards just mentioned that the next five years is also about expanding the reach of CWIS, standardizing practice everywhere. Let's ask our guests what they think about CWIS's role internationally. And should this be one of our folks or, or should we just keep our group here at home? Or how do you, how, what are your thoughts about it? I think that a natural evolution for the collaborative centers is to grow into something that while it will never be to the level of a trauma verification could look more like a center verification process to standardize approaches to a certain degree. That could be a feather in the cap of people like Fred who are chairing departments and who are real apex leaders within their institution to be able to shop that around to go back to when fellows are coming for an interview. I think that's something that CWIS can and should do at some point in the future. But to answer your question more directly, I think the thing that we should do as an organization is take the role of training people how to do chest wall surgery away from industry and insource it into the established medical community, the medical centers, the training programs, and the society itself. I think that is something we are getting to the size of to be able to do effectively worldwide now that we have members in as many countries as we do, and certainly something that I think we're well positioned to do in North America. America, Europe, and Australia, where we really have a really deep bench of membership. I think that piece still colors a lot of people's attitudes towards chest wall injury surgery. And if we don't do that, no one will.
CWIS has always, of all the societies to which I belong, been the most international from the very beginning. And obviously there are a lot of ins and outs and logistics to hosting an international meeting, but I would I would show up if we had it in Europe or South America or Australia. So I'll speak for myself. I don't know if those cities would be ready to handle us, but they probably <laughs> would. But I'm sure there's permits and other stuff we'd have to get. We'd have to right, go. we'd, oh, have, we'd have to pull records on Sebastian and all that kind of stuff. Or something. When I think about the next five years, I'm kind of wearing my MPH hat. And I know that a lot of others have already started to look at this, including Andy Dobin and Everett Erickson. And we're starting to look at it in Denver here as well. But it's the concept of access to high quality chest wall injury care, including SSRF by experienced chest wall surgeons and disparities in how patients with chest wall injuries are cared for, who's offered the surgery in the first place, why certain patients say yes versus no, and how this resource is allocated by things like socioeconomic status, especially in marginalized communities. So we have something that we know it works, but we don't want to limit it to just the upper echelon. So I'm excited to see that research develop. I think that's an excellent point. I also know there's a group within CWIS who's looking at research of who's offered training. Are there differences in terms of, you know, looking, well, we were looking at genders, the percentages of gender within CWIS in terms of the male-female dynamic, and then saying, what does that look like in comparison to the amount of surgeons that are trained by the companies? And are they specifically targeting, you know, obviously there are certain percentages just of male-female ratios in programs. And then of those, what are the ratios of those that are being offered training and then that are continuing on to actual plating and joining CWIS? And how do those ratios translate? And how do we get from male to female ratios of residents to male to female ratios of CWIS members? And what impact those decisions? And I think that also could have an impact on, like you're talking about, in terms of patient selection or who offers what. And if that changes, who accepts surgery? Or, you know, there may be some impact there. So I think there are a lot of interesting things that we can kind of delve into from those perspectives as well. All right, guys, has anyone developed a new final stitch? Let's, let's do another so final, a new st- final stitch. So regular Fracture Line listeners will remember that I had a birthday a few weeks ago. It was a notable birthday. I will disclose I turned 40. Dr. White and Dr. Crisco, thank you, kept saying that it was 50. Thank you very little. 40, then 50. I was, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, it's only a decade of my life. Appreciate you. Then I was on a subsequent call with another CWIS member who thought she was being generous and said, I was listening to Fracture Line and I didn't realize you were 50. You don't look a day over 45. <laughs> it, it worked. It worked. So to Dr. White and Dr. Crisco, if I wasn't a lady, I would flip you off. But I hope you know that sometime the next week you're going to stub your toe. All I said was you were due for your colonoscopy. I never mentioned any date. When it happens and you stub your toe in the next week, you know the universe has kicked you back. Fred, Sebastian, final stitch. Just something on your mind, something you want to say, shout out. Yeah, I'll stay on the birthday theme. So one of my kids had a birthday recently. She turned 16 and got her driver's license sighting. But her 13-year-old brother got her a present and it was a candle. And we realized that she opened it, that it was a candle that we had in our guest room bathroom that had been used. <laughs> and we were like, buddy, it would have almost been better if you didn't get her anything at all. So that's a little snippet of what's going on in my family household right now. I think he should be commended for that maneuver. He got caught, but he might have gotten away with it. Frugal. He's frugal. I like it. I don't know. I think I just found a Christmas idea. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, I will awesome. stay on the family theme because I don't have any birthday stories, but I will say that I do not infrequently listen to Fracture Line when I'm driving around with my kids in the back. I got a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and I am very much looking forward to the rather confused look I will be seeing on Christian's face when my actual voice is coming out of the podcast <laughs> video, and he will not know what to do with that. So <laughs> Christian, awesome. I love you, but this happened. It's real. It's real. Your dad's a big swinging thing. A big. That's not know. very PG, Hi, Tom. That's not very... He's a big Christian deal. Be good in the car. <laughs> Christian, we car love you. We love your dad, Doctor Bauman. Hey, don't forget to donate to the fundraising campaign today. And I was going to mention every time I was on, we're getting there. Come on, let's finish strong. All right, I don't have another one, so we can be done. Well, thank you again, Dr. Crisco, for hosting another Fracture Line. I think we need to have facial appearances watching the Fracture Line in place because that would make its own interesting YouTube video as we watch you all interact.